You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you have your copy of Scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, won't you stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's Word? These are familiar verses, verses that, quite frankly, are in my heart every day. These are foundational to the gospel, and I pray today they will serve as a foundation for your heart as well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Before I pray, I want you to note in verse 10, that word workmanship, that's the word. That's the word that speaks of the beautiful nature you have in Christ. You are his workmanship. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessings to be upon us today, and we ask that we will understand how beautiful your love is for us. And God, as we walk into this room today, maybe very discouraged, maybe, maybe we're going to walk out of this room and run into some discouraging things God, I pray that these truths will be an anchor of hope for us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I think that we all know that love in and of itself is a mystery. I think it's a mystery because God is love. But when we talk about love as human beings, we often talk about the love between a husband and a wife. When we enter into that particular relationship, there is a way in which we look at one another like we look at no one else in the world. That's what it is. So the reality may be that there are many people in the world that are beautiful and talented and have all kinds of things that amaze us, but the truth is all those other beautiful people are just that. They're beautiful, but when we love someone, there's a deeper connection Now, I wanted to mention this to you, and I wanted you to think about this, because when we think about our relationship with God so often, the devil wants us to think about our relationship from the perspective of our failures, our sins, the ways in which we have let God down. Paul speaks a little later in Ephesians 2, in verse 12, the second part of the verse. If you keep your Bibles open to Ephesians 2 today, that would be wise. We'll be looking at several passages here and there and everywhere. But Paul speaks of those having no hope and without God in the world. You see, those are the individuals who are hearing the lies of Satan. But here's the sad thing is, it's not just people who are apart from Christ listening to those lies. Many of us who are in Christ are listening to those negative words. But let's let the scriptures speak. Instead of listening to the devil in the world and all the negative things that are out there, Let's listen to the Bible. Let's hear what God has to say and what Christ would say to us. And when we read the scriptures carefully, and in particular our passage today, what we find is that God wants us to know that we are loved by him. And when we have received salvation in his name, we are beautiful to God in the same way a husband and wife view each other. We are, church, the bride of Christ. 
That language that Paul will use a little later in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 is powerful language reminding us that we are in a special relationship with God. That special relationship is one of deep love. So hear this. If you are a Christian, God looks at you with the deep love, the unique love of a groom toward his bride. Now, I want you to hear this today because as we've been talking about salvation, the series Lost and Found, as we've been taking a careful look at Christian conversion, we're trying to understand who we are in Christ. Now, there's a reason why we're doing this. One, we want to, we want to be evangelistic. We want people to hear the gospel and follow Jesus. But many of you have the opportunity or will have the opportunity in the next year to share your faith. And my guess is, if you do not have a deeper appreciation for the gospel in your own heart, you will be less likely to share the gospel. If you don't understand your position before God because of what Christ has done for you, you are less inclined to share with people the beautiful nature of salvation. So today, my hope is that I can convince you from God's word that you are beautiful to God, that God views you as a special part of his creation, a necessary part of the witness of this church, and that you can go out and help people find, or shall we say hear, the love song of God. Some songs are better than others. We know that. We have some songs that we like and some songs that we don't. If if Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 were a song, it's got to be one of the all-time greats because it just lays it out there so simply and powerfully and reminds us that we are beautiful to God. I want you to be thinking about your personal relationship with God this morning. I want you to be thinking for a moment with me what it looks like, what it looks like for you as you are walking with the Lord. Do you walk in the hope and the confidence of the gospel? Do you see your life as beautiful because of what Christ has done? Let me warn you, many of you in this room are professors not like at school, but you profess Jesus. You are in Christ, but many of us have forgotten the depth and breadth of God's love for us. We've been listening to everybody else, the world, the enemy, maybe even some of our own thoughts. We've been listening to those negative thoughts so long that many of us have forgotten just how much God loves us. Today, he is wanting to remind us in his word of that love. Let's begin with the gift of God, saved by grace through faith. To appreciate God's love for you, you have to understand the gospel. And the basics of the gospel are spelled out for us even there just in verse 8. The building blocks of the gospel are salvation, grace, and faith. Those are the key terms there in verse 8. And we'll unpack those today as we go through the rest of this text. But suffice it to say that we are all in need of salvation because of sin. Understand that salvation is not talking about getting pulled out of the swimming pool when you're about to drown. We're talking about where we are being carried along by a river of sin, according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. We're being carried along by this river called sin to our destruction. God had to reach in and deliver us out of that that swift-moving stream carrying us toward destruction. If we believe that God graciously has provided a way, if we have faith in the grace that God provides us through his son, then we can be saved. So those three concepts, those three concepts, salvation, grace, and faith are important. What is true that we are forgiven? 
when we are saved. Now that, if you're a believer in here today, that seems so simple. If I were to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? And you were to tell me yes. And I were to ask you, do you believe that Jesus has forgiven you for your sins? You would say yes. And then if I really got to know you, you would tell me about how you carry the burden of those sins with you to this day, and you are constantly allowing those thoughts of your past failures to keep you from living a Christian life today. So though you know in your mind that your sins are forgiven, many of you are living as though those sins are still on your account. That is not the way this works. Look at verse 8. It speaks of the gift. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Friends, you have been delivered from sin, the bad things, but what we need to realize is we've also been delivered into good things, into a new life. We need to remember what we've been given in Christ, and what he has given us is life in the name of Jesus that flows from the cross. Paul will often use the word justification in place of salvation. Now, in our passage, we're looking at the word salvation, which is very clearly being saved from our sins. But sometimes, like in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians, he'll use the word justification. The reason why is simple. Salvation can only occur in your life when the blood of Jesus has paid the price for your sins. So you can't be saved if you've not been justified by what Jesus did on the cross. Now, I'm mentioning this salvation, justification, and the cross because, quite frankly, that is at the core of the gift. The gift of God is that wonderful gift from the Heavenly Father and that he gave his Son for us to be delivered from our sins. Otherwise, we would stay dead in our trespasses and sin. Look at Ephesians 2.1. Now, let me just challenge you again. Too many of us still carry that body of death. Like we are, are always looking back over our shoulder, remembering former times. If you walked apart from Jesus for many years, the enemy will remind you of all the things you used to do and tell you that's who you are. That's a lie. That is not who you are. You've received the gift. If you were raised in church like me and really had every opportunity from the moment you were born into this world to hear the gospel, that was my story. I was raised in church. So how does the devil attack me? You knew better when you were a teenager and you still did those evil things. You see how he works? No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, you may say, well, you don't understand. I came to Christ late in my life, and I've had all these years of living, living apart from Jesus, so how can I ever walk away from that? Well, then the other person says, well, I was raised in church, and I still went and did those things. How can I ever find forgiveness? Listen, if you think like that, your life will not be beautiful in Christ. Because what you're doing is, is you're focusing on what you did instead of the gift that God gave you. We have to put our eyes, we have to change our focal point from what we've done to what Christ has done. A commentator by the name of Andrew T. Lincoln, no relationship to Abraham as far as I know, says, faith involves the abandonment of any attempt to justify oneself and an openness to God which is willing to accept what he has done in Christ. Now hear the word abandonment. 
we have to abandon anything that we would put before God. Now, I want you to also realize verse 8, this is the the, the most natural translation of the Greek here. Um, It says basically it is the gift of God. But the literal language says this, God is the gift. God is the gift. Do you realize Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but He is God? He is God in the flesh, as we're going to be singing about here at Christmas time. God is the gift. So when God gave you this gift, it wasn't an idea, it wasn't a book, it wasn't uh, some historical story of some sort. No, He gave us Jesus. And when we understand that the beautiful Son of God was given so that we could have a beautiful soul, why would we want to continue chasing after the ugliness of our past? We are at our best when we give all the glory to God. Saved people keep God in the center. We are told we are saved by grace through faith, and that's reminding us it is all about Him. But the truth is, many of us, are living very poor Christian lives. Where I come from, if someone says that was poor, that's not a good thing. If you behave in such a way and it is declared to be poor, that's not good. You're in a lot of trouble, all right? Well, let me tell you that many of our Christian lives are being lived in a poor fashion. In fact, I would say that poverty is there because we're putting too much emphasis on us. So let's talk about the poverty of works And how Paul says in verse 9, not your own doing, not a result of works, he continues after verse 8, so that no one may boast. I've shared with you all before my encounters with some uh, other faiths that are out there that do not believe in grace. I shared a story about sharing the gospel of grace with a group of Jehovah's Witnesses one time, and they said, you know, Jeremy, we just, we understand what you're saying, but we just don't think it's logical that God would just give us something like eternal life. We believe it's more logical that we would earn our salvation. And though that is logical, that is not biblical. That is not what the Bible teaches us about salvation. In fact, what the Bible teaches us about salvation is that our works are impoverished. We do not have anything that we can bring to God that can justify ourselves. Hardworking religious people don't necessarily want to hear this, but they need to because divine grace is the only way to know God. You see, you can't have it both ways. You can't say you want God's salvation, which the Bible calls a gift, and then spend your life trying to earn that gift or to convince yourself that you're worthy of the gift. You see, that's not the way it works. The word gift is a very specific word, and it reminds us that it's not something that we have earned or paid for in any way. It's something that we just receive. There's another key word here in verse 9. Notice the word works. Let's clarify what that means. Not a result of works. A good definition of this in this context is this word speaks of all human effort extended in pursuit of eternal salvation. In other places in the word of God in the New Testament in particular, Paul will speak of works of the law. Now he says that to Jewish audiences. So in Romans chapter two, he speaks of works of the law because in the Jewish context, the way people tried to earn God's favor was to keep the law. Now we come to Ephesians 
and we're dealing with a different crowd here. This crowd seems to be less Jewish and more pagan. So Ephesians doesn't say works of the law because to a pagan that wouldn't mean anything. They didn't know the law. That wasn't part of their heritage. But they certainly understood works. If you were to go and you decided after watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, you wanted to be an archaeologist, and so you went to, to Turkey or into the, into the Greco-Roman world, and you started digging in archaeological digs around old temples. What you would find, you would find all of these buried votives or these offerings that people had given to the gods and the goddesses. Ephesus was the center of the worship of Artemis, and there was all kinds of wickedness. If I told you what it is, you'd all blush. It's terrible stuff. It's dark stuff. But people would sacrifice animals. They would sacrifice their bodies. They would do all kinds of things to please the deity. So for them, they understood, even these pagans understood the religious connotation of works. In fact, their entire world was built on appeasing and pleasing the gods. And when you read the literature of the Greco-Roman world, they always knew that they were going to fall short. They knew that whatever they did, the gods were still going to come and get them. They were still going to be punished because they didn't offer just the right amount of sacrifice. So even in the pagan world, works never worked. But that's what people try to do. And they'll, they'll tell me, well, it's logical. Well, no, it's not logical. Because the devil is always going to remind you of one more sin than you have works. If on your account you have a hundred good works, the devil is so good, he will remind you that you have a hundred and one sins. And you can take it up as high as you want. The devil can always show you the poverty of your works. And yet, he loves it when you work. He loves it when you put your faith in what you do instead of your faith in what Christ has done. You are impoverished when you try to please God your own way. You must realize that only Christ can save. I believe that many Christians today are making the same mistakes of the pagans of yesteryear. We look at the, 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 the worship of the gods and goddesses in the Greco-Roman world and we say, man, how silly is that? But how many people go to church every Sunday and they try to serve in some capacity in their community and they're doing all of those things because they're hoping that they do enough good things to be saved? It doesn't work. In fact, let me tell you what it does do. Not only is it a way to impoverish your soul, it will actually feed your ego. Works is a deadly thing because when we do a few good things, what's the first thing a human is inclined to do when they've done some good things? They boast. They like to brag. I, I knew a guy in Texas. It's always Texas guys. But this guy in Texas, he said, it ain't bragging if it's fact. And then he'd go on to brag. When we have accomplished something, and, and you know, as I get older, I realize I, I, I'm, I'm less uh, bragging about myself, but sometimes my kids and things like that. We have to be careful because all the good things in our lives, they are gifts from God for sure. But hear this, anytime you do something good, um, the enemy can use that too. He'll whisper in your ear, man, you're so much better than everybody else. 
When you preach a sermon or when you serve that turkey at Thanksgiving, you did it with a smile. Did you see the lady next to you? She did not smile at anybody. She was just wasting her time. But you were blessing God because you were there smiling. You see, the enemy loves to twist it all around. You think that your works are good and then you, 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 you say, wow, I really am a good person. And all that does is pull glory away from the Lord. One of my really good friends in ministry, Gene Smith, who I served with for many years in DeSoto, uh, he used to say, be a glory revealer, not a glory stealer. And when we are putting our, our, the emphasis on what we've done, friends, we are glory stealers. We're stealing the glory that should be God's alone. I believe that today, one of the reasons why many of you, many of us, are not feeling close to the Lord is because we're spending too much time trying to earn God's favor instead of receiving the free gift of grace. No matter how many good works we have, we will always be poor in light of God's holiness. You are never going to be able to top the righteousness of Christ. So here's the deal. Quit trying to top the righteousness of Christ and receive it. When Jesus died on the cross, the blood he spilled was there to cover your sins. Receive that gift and you are rich spiritually. Any other attempt at pleasing God will lead you to poverty. And let us finish with these words. His workmanship makes for good works. So I told you earlier that word workmanship points us to the beauty that uh, God has in the world and that God places in us. I believe that God does save us so that we can do good works, but our good works do not save us. Look at verse 10, makes it plain. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Don't miss that. Good works are part of the equation, but for the glory of God, not for the procurement or securing of your salvation. The good works are what we do because our hearts have been made beautiful by God. Work is hard. Hard work puts stress on our bodies. We know this. Um, Over time, the more we work and the harder we work, the more our bodies break down. But here's the deal. When it comes to working for our salvation, we would literally work ourselves to death and never get closer to the goal. But look at Jesus. Look at the stress his body bore on the cross. If you want to talk about work, if you're one of those people that says, listen, there has to be work here for me to be saved, I'll give you that. There was a lot of work, and it was done on Good Friday. And it was bloody, painful excruciatingly painful work, and Jesus did it for you and me. That's the gospel. Salvation required tremendous work, the work of Jesus on the cross. Ian Murray, the great historian of the evangelical faith, he says this, the law teaches us not what we can do, but what we ought to do. Now, this is important. You see, Jesus, his finished work on the cross is all we have because the law never was taught to us or given to us so that we could do it all. God knew better than that, but it shows us what we ought to do. 
It does show us our deficiencies. But hear this, God is all sufficient. Matthew 19, 26 puts it this way. With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Salvation by grace through faith is impossible apart from what Jesus did on the cross. The law helps us distinguish right from wrong, but does not give us the power to do right. You see, our sinful nature is too strong. But praise God that even though we are dead spiritually, he made us alive into Christ and we are his workmanship. Now very quickly, let me tell you about that word workmanship. The word means basically a poem. Now I know in our day and time, poetry is not a very popular thing. But if you think about it, if you look at a really good poem, not a complicated one, but a simple one. And by the way, you're looking at good poetry usually if the song is really good. So many times, good poetry for us is in a song that's memorable, that, that, that we can uh, keep in our hearts, those kinds of things, all right? Now, the word workmanship here is poemo in the Greek, which you hear it. That's where we get the English word poem. And basically what a poem is, it takes a lot of work. If you've ever tried to write one, you know how hard it is to write one because you have to have pretty good command of the language, pretty good command of grammar, and you have to put all that together so that words themselves become beautiful. Now, words can just be words. You can tell a story and and people get the gist and it not be all that beautiful. Sometimes the words can be put together and they're beautiful. So here's the deal. When God gets a hold of us, we become his workmanship. So our story is a mess of words. Our, our history is, is messy. We have all these things that have happened in our lives. But when Christ gets a hold of us, he takes the messiness of our narrative and he turns our lives into a poem unto God. He makes us beautiful by the blood of Jesus. We are his workmanship, and that requires for us from that point forward, if we rest in his finished work, to then walk in that, to walk in those good works and make a difference in the world. You see, God does want you to do great things for the kingdom, but he doesn't want you to do those so that you prove that you are saved. It's just that it does prove that Christ is in you, that you are a new creation. Your priorities have changed You have received the love of God. You believe that you are beautiful in God's sight because of Jesus in your heart. And when you believe that, you are capable of far more than you ever imagined. Now remember when I read earlier, Ephesians 2, 12b, it says, having no hope and without God in the world. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. God is so good because once upon a time, you had no hope in the world. You were without God, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus, and he has made peace. That's the truth. But are you living that truth? The last several years, I've come to realize that my mind uh, is sometimes uh, uh, my worst enemy, that there's always these ideas in my head where I'm constantly telling myself, do you ever, uh, maybe you don't, but every once in a while I go, oh, like that, kind of hit myself in the head. Do you ever do that? 
I guess you guys are way beyond me. I'm a barbarian. But like, I'll think of something that I've said or done, especially like as a preacher. Guess what? I say a lot of words. I talk to a lot of people. And so a lot of times on Sunday afternoon, I just want to keep punching myself in the face. Some of you probably would like to too. I don't know. But it's like, oh, why did I do this? Or why did I say that? That's just how my mind works. I could have said this better. I could have done that better. Well, that seems innocent enough. And maybe we all do that to some extent. But do you realize how powerful that is in a negative way? Do you realize when you give in to that, you're allowing your negativity and your insecurities trump what Jesus has said about you? And many times, the things that you are beating yourself up over are not even sins. They're more focused on your failures, where you could have done better or should have done better. Friends, all that is is idol worship, and you're worshiping yourself. You are upset with yourself because you didn't do better, because you want to do better, because you want to look better. And I'm going to tell you, all that boasting is worthless. What matters most is that God loves you and that you share God's love. If you are beating yourself up over all the little mistakes you've made today, yesterday, and at any time in your past, that means you have no energy to share your faith. Why are people today not sharing their faith? Because they're too upset, too down, too dark because of their past. Listen, Jesus forgave you of those sins. Why do you continue to carry them? That's ugliness. Let it go. The blood washes away sin. Don't pick it back up. And don't let the devil hand it back to you. Leave it at the foot of the cross. God is so good. His word is so powerful. This morning I found myself in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have your copy of scripture, I want you to turn there. And very quickly I'm going to read you three verses that can change your life. If you are a person living in the burden, under the burden and weight of your past sins, even though you say you believe in Jesus, you need to listen to these three verses and you need to be free. Paul says this, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved of sin, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Well, some, th- some things never change. Paul says... If you are convicted of your sin and have godly grief and have repented, then you are free. He says, you've suffered no loss to us. In other words, we're over it. That's the past. Godly grief, verse 10, produces, uh, leads to salvation without regret. So why are you walking around in regret all the time? Well, it tells us right here. Because worldly grief produces death. You see... The things that are slowing most of you down have nothing to do with you and God. Most of the things that are slowing you down are the things that it's just, it's your ego. And it's also your willingness to listen more to the whispers from the dark of the devil than to listen to the spirit of God from the light. 
you keep listening to the negative because it's easier. And that's worldly grief. Worldly grief will not get you where you need to go. But godly grief will. If you truly repent of your sins, you leave them at the cross. Christian, you are beautiful to God. So why are you so down? Why are you so negative? Hurt all the time. You're not sharing the gospel because you're just hurt. Now listen, if there is unconfessed sin in your life, Paul says right here, the only way that you can get better is to repent of your sin. And that's what we're going to do here in a moment. If your life is not beautiful before God because of sin, then repent. But if your life is not beautiful before God because of a guilt complex that you yourself have put on yourself, then let it go. Let that go in this altar too. Because you have to believe you are beautiful to God. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.